already? I'm just joking. I do want to take just a minute, though, and speak into where our, our church is, and um, we'll do this again over the next few weeks, but God's been doing something mighty in our church and over the last number of months, last number of years even, and uh, with, with Gabe and Bree moving uh, to Madison and, and my stepping into his role, uh, I think one, there's one narrative that I want you to hear from me. This is really my first chance to talk to you since Gabe has announced this, and, I, and I'll do this again in, in the next few weeks, but uh, this isn't Gabe's church, and it's not my church. Uh, this is the church that God has built in this city for his people and his good. And so there, there's one thing uh, people will keep saying, is, well, is anything going to change? And I don't know the answer to that, and that's just me being fully transparent. We are flying by the seat of our pants at this point, right? Uh, but there's, there's one thing I want to promise you, that our commitment to teaching and preaching the full counsel of God's Word, the entirety and the beauty and the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to be the primary thing that we do here. That's it. And so everything else, we can change the way we do the lights and all the things and the signs could change. I don't know. The building could change. Uh, I could change. Uh, that will not change. And so this morning as we jump into the last week that we have in Genesis is really the primer to get ready for Exodus. I want you to hear that from me and, um, and just know that that is my great commitment. If you've heard me teach over the last year and a half or so, you know that's my primary goal every week is for you to see clearly what is in the Word of God uh, in a way that might change the way that you see Him, His beauty and His majesty. And so um, before we jump in uh, to Genesis, I just want to spend a, a minute praying and uh, just to settle, settle all of us and um, spring break or not, uh, we're thankful that you're here and you're a part of this church and, uh, and know that, that God is doing something pretty remarkable here and it's fun to be a part of. I hope you feel that. So uh, let's go before him now in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your text, the word that you have living, uh, given us uh, to live by. And so as, as our church navigates the next uh, weeks and months, we pray that you would uh, give us a courage, that you'd give us a confidence uh, that all of this, <clears throat> all of us, are yours, that, that you have sent your son, son to redeem us and to bring us back into right standing with you, and that we are bearers of good news that our neighbors uh, must hear. And so would you use us as the branch church to be a part of that work in this community and around the world? As we dive into uh, the last chapter of Genesis, I pray that you would help us to see clearly what you would have us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray in his beautiful name. Amen. By uh, way of getting into, we're, we'll be in Genesis 50, so if you want to go ahead and, and do that, it'll take us a minute to get there. Uh, we're talking about the life of Joseph this morning, and um, there's a lot in Genesis about Joseph, and we can't do it all today, nor should we necessarily, um, but I do want to give you a framework of understanding who this man uh, was and his impact on our church today. Okay, so that's kind of the goal. And so what I want to do is I want to start really from the beginning of, of Joseph and just I'm going to walk you through. You don't have to flip. Uh, I'll read a couple other passages, but our primary text is Genesis 50. And so um, the thing that we have to ask ourselves, and we've been doing this every week, and really we're doing this with an eye towards how do we study Exodus well. You can't study Exodus unless you've studied Genesis. 
And so we're, we're painting this story, really kind of the family of God and, uh, and God's people and how he cares for them. When, when I was up here a few weeks ago, we were talking about Babel, and I gave you the little thing that we do at our house. Does anybody remember this? Or did you all go to spring break, right? Does God keep his promises? And I don't know how this got started. Me- Megan said I didn't give good context for the thumb thing. It just started. Mary London was like, just came, started doing this thing. And that's how we remember that God always keeps his promises. That is the point, okay? So if you need to check out or if you missed your flight to spring break, like, just know that God keeps his promises. That's what he's promised us. And so with the family of God, we see Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and his son Joseph. Joseph is one of the 12 uh, born to Jacob. He's number 11. I was talking with Joel. Joel's one of 14. If you don't know Joel, you should introduce. He's got a brother named Joseph. It wasn't number 11, though. I thought that would have been cool. Um, This is a big family. There's a lot of boys. I'm one of four boys, and I thought it was chaos. One of 12 boys must be real chaos. And Joseph is number 11. This is from Joseph, uh, from Genesis 30, this verse 22. Just listen to what it says here. It says, and God remembered Rachel. This is Joseph's mother. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, Rachel was the one that had a hard time bearing children. Verse 24, it says, and she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. And the Lord did. Eventually, Joseph's younger brother, full blood brother, his name is Benjamin. And Benjamin plays a big part in Joseph's story, and we'll come back around that. Later in Genesis 37, and if you really want to do, do a deep dive on Joseph's life, you start in Genesis 37, okay? And 37, really through the end of Genesis, you're going to get all the Joseph you could ever want. If you want a Cliff Notes version, go to Acts and, uh, and Stephen's sermon, um, another Stephen, spelled the right way though, by the way, with PH. Um, in Acts 7, he does a quick uh, part of Joseph in his sermon there. And so if you wanted to do that, go to Acts 7 later this afternoon, you can do that. But in Genesis 37, we see that Joseph is established as Jacob's favorite son, right? You know this, right? Joseph gets a fancy jacket, and there really is this tension now between Joseph and his other brothers that Joseph is the favorite, and it becomes obvious. So listen to this. Joseph had some dreams in in Genesis 37, uh, verse 9. He says, Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers, like any good sibling would do. And he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream, Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right, so if you grew up with siblings, there's always competition. There's always something going on that that is doing this, right? And we, and we fight like cats and dogs. And I, I, we were uh, celebrating uh, Brayden's birthday, my son and uh, sister-in-law Hannah yesterday. And our kids just, they were fighting like crazy yesterday. And I'm sitting across the table from my dad and I just said, man, I'm so sorry. I was a part of that, right? We just fought like crazy. And now you begin, as a parent, you begin to understand the impact that that has. But this would have been true for Joseph, except magnified by 11 others, right? And he's the favorite. He has a dream, and the hatred that his brothers have is growing. It's a snowball. And just like three or four times in Genesis 11, you hear that, and his brothers hated him, and his brothers hated him, and his brothers hated him. And so what we see is in all of this, Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him. 
That's where he'd got, it gotten to the point where they were ready to kill him. And there's one brother from Leah. Uh, I guess this would, I don't know how the, I don't know how, I don't know Leah's relation to Joseph, right? This is one of his father's other wives. And um, Judah. Judah is the youngest of Leah's sons. And as the brothers conspire to kill Joseph, Judah steps up. Judah wasn't always righteous, just know this, okay? So all of the patriarchs were imperfect, and we'll get to that in this story. But Judah steps up and spares Joseph's life and says, why should we kill him and put his blood on our hands? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let them take him and he can be their servant. And so Judah, and we did this at family reunion a couple weeks ago, studying the lineage to Jesus. Judah is in the line to Jesus. And we see early, early on in the line of Jesus, a redeemer, a protector. That's what we were studying in family reunion. And Judah, though imperfect, protects his brother. Seems kind of a weird backhanded way to do it, but he saves his life. And if he hadn't, right, if they had killed Joseph, and we'll see this play out as we continue to tell the story, if he hadn't, that line to Jesus would have ended right there when the famine hit, and all of his 11 brothers, including Judah, would have died. So Joseph is purchased by Ishmaelite gypsies and later sold to Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar has a, uh, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. You can read this in the text. We're not going to dive into the details, um, although there's not many kids in here. But Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph, and then she accuses him falsely of making a move and uh, Joseph is thrown into prison. While he's in prison, Joseph continues to have these dreams, and this is the tension that he had with his brothers, and it created tension with the people he was in prison with. And specifically, there was a baker and a cupbearer who used to serve in Pharaoh's court, and he interprets their dreams, and Joseph just says, hey, will you please remember me, because they were being now pulled out of prison and restored back to their positions. And the cupbearer says, I'll remember you. And it took some time, but he does remember him. And Joseph gets promoted. He's pulled out of prison. And now he's serving as a minister in Pharaoh's court. When he comes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's had some dreams, and he can't understand them. The magicians in his town, they can't understand them. And, and Joseph comes, and he interprets the dreams. And he basically says, hey, your dreams mean these things. You're going to have seven years of plenty, and you're going to have seven years of famine. You know this story? Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And this is where the story gets interesting, because Joseph, God had ordained Joseph for this very moment. And what I want us to learn, what I want us to take away from Joseph, is that God can use anyone to accomplish his will. Anyone. Okay? This was the 11th son of 12 being used to protect and preserve the family of God. So during the famine, Joseph's brothers come into Egypt from Canaan looking for food. And Joseph now is now in charge of all of the rations. He's got all the food, and he's in charge of distributing them to the people in a way that will protect the people for seven years. It's a long famine, okay? So if they run out of food, everyone dies, all right? And Joseph is in charge of keeping everyone alive. That is his job, given to him by Pharaoh. His brothers come, they go back and forth a few times, leave Benjamin behind the first time, who is the youngest brother, it's Joseph's blood brother, and then Joseph sees him, he weeps, he does a lot of weeping, he's a tender soul, and he says, where's your younger brother? You have another one. And they go and they get him, and in the back and forth, Joseph puts something in Benjamin's saddle as they go back to get Jacob, Joseph's father, to bring him into Egypt. 
And Joseph sends men to track him down, says, somebody stole my cup. And sure enough, it was found under Benjamin's saddle. And that is the story where we begin to see Joseph doing something bigger than what even the people around him could see. He's got an eye for protecting his family. He's being called to something different, something big. So Benjamin is brought back into Egypt. Now he's arrested. He's being charged as a criminal, as a thief. And who stands up for Benjamin? Judah does. It's Judah. What did we just learn about Judah? It's from the line of Judah, we get to Jesus. And Judah says, give me the punishment. I'll take Benjamin's punishment. Give it to me. Though imperfect, it is a foreshadowing of a perfect Savior who will come and take on our punishment. Right? So when we're reading the Old Testament, if we're not reading it Christologically, then we're wasting our time. And so you can't read Joseph without understanding who Jesus is. Because Joseph's story is about Jesus. And until we can get there, our work is incomplete. And so Judah says, I'll take Benjamin's punishment. I'll become, I will enslave myself to you, Joseph. Let him free. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. Although he does it perfectly. I want us to pick up now in verse 50. Jacob has died at this point. Uh, the, the brothers are, are nervous that uh, Joseph is going to turn on his word to his father, and now he's, gonna, he's coming for vengeance, right? At the heart of the brothers' response and reaction to Joseph is guilt and shame. Have you ever felt guilt and shame? Have you ever felt them at the same time? It is a heavy load to bear. That's why Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden. For here, in me, you will find what? Rest. It's freedom. It is freedom that you will find. Okay? So let's pick up in Genesis 50. This is verse 15. We're going to read down through 21. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 20. Okay? Verse 15, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Now, did he give this command? Did Jacob give the command? He did not. Okay. Verse 17, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, We are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people, many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and spoke kindly to them. It sounds an awful lot like the way Jesus would speak, does it not? It does. Read the New Testament. It's the same tone. It's the same temper. It's the same words, even. It's the same care for little ones. Joseph is a comforter to his brothers. Earlier, when, uh, in Genesis, when, when Joseph is sold into slavery, you know, his brothers go back to Jacob and says, for your son has died. 
and, and uh, Jacob is inconsolable. It says in the text that he cannot be comforted. Okay? It takes a generation, but comfort comes. Right? Joseph comforts his brothers. There is a fulfillment of Joseph's dream when it says, Behold, we are your servants. His brothers are saying this to him. They're on their knees before him. This is exactly what he had dreamed as a child. This is what put him into slavery, eventually led him into Pharaoh's court, eventually led him to be Pharaoh's prime minister, the steward of all that is of Egypt. Joseph was right. His dream was right. But of all of this, of all the stories, what is the point? What is the point? So you can know a lot about Joseph and know nothing about Jesus, and Joseph means nothing. Do you hear me? Please hear me. You can know a lot about Abraham. You can know a lot about Isaac. You can know a lot about Jacob and all of the patriarchs. You can do a deep dive biological studies on all of them, and you can miss Jesus. And if you've done that, you know a lot of history, and that's great. But you don't know salvation history. And salvation history starts here. From the beginning, when God created, this is his plan now being executed in the world. Verse 20 is foundational. It is the foundation for our understanding of not only Genesis, but the very gospel itself. I'm going to read it again. It says, as for you, this is Joseph speaking, you meant evil against me. Have you ever been there? There's someone in your life, and you could say this and it be true. Has it ever been you in your own life? You meant this for evil. Whatever sin, whatever thing, you meant it for evil, but God. But God. So put your life in there. Put your story in this story. Where's the but God? Where, that's, the, that's a salvation pivot. Redemptive history pivots at but God. And we skip past it a lot. Right? If we're in our Bible reading plan, we get to the end of Genesis knowing what's coming and we start reading quickly. I was telling Megan this week, I've, I've spent the last 15 years of my life really studying the Bible for myself. And I don't say that to brag. What I say is, the last few weeks getting ready for this sermon, I've learned something and seen it in ways that I've never seen it before. There are some of you who've been doing it for 30 years, maybe for 40 years. I don't know. Maybe some of you, this is your first pass through this biblical text, and I can promise you the fruit keeps on coming. Our work is never finished. This isn't a book that you read cover to cover and then put up. This is a book that we must come back to time and time again because it's the very word of God. And I say what I say to encourage you. that You can read through it. Maybe you'll miss some stuff. I promise you that you will. When you start to see how much silver was Joseph sold for, do you know? This is, I don't mean to put you on Bible trivia. It's 20 pieces. It's 20 pieces. There comes another one in the line of Judah who sold for 30 pieces. His name was Jesus. Same material stuff. It means nothing. The silver's gone. Right? When you start to read the story and you can make those connections and those links, I can promise you, you'll start to get this understanding, this deep understanding that the story is not just a story about some person from long ago. This is your story. If Judah had died, you and I would not be here doing what we're doing today. But God is sovereign over all. And from the beginning, he had a plan. 
to siphon a brother from the twelve to save the eleven. Just like he did when he sent his very son, fully God and fully man, into the world. Not to save one, but to save the many. To save you and I. The Old Testament is full of God's promises. There's no doubt about that. But there's one promise that lays the foundation for all of them. And it is this statement. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Over and over and over and over again, the Old Testament comes back to that very promise. And then other promises are built onto that. But that is the foundational promise. I will be your God. Genesis 1.1. I will be your God. As he speaks it into creation, I am in control of everything. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is an important text, not just for the church of old, but for the church today and the church of the future. There's, a, there's stories throughout, not just the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament that are pointing back here in order to point forward. And so as our church, just a little band of brothers and sisters, as we prepare, prepare for what God has in store for us, I hope that this will bring us courage. God foreknew from the very beginning of time that Gabe, our founding pastor, would leave. He did. I promise you the announcement, whatever it was, was it four weeks ago, did not catch him by surprise. It caught me by surprise. Probably caught you by surprise. (laughs) It didn't catch him by surprise. And neither did whatever you're walking through. It didn't catch him by surprise. And he hasn't forgotten. All of the biblical texts build on a foundation of hope. And that is where our hope lands. He will be our God. We will be his people. So what does the life of Joseph teach us about God's nature? This is, some, this is an exercise we do in our family groups week after week after week. What does it teach us about God, about his nature, his character? What attributes can we lean on? What promises can we trust? There's a striking, this is Spurgeon. Spurgeon I, I promised to do a Spurgeon quote a couple weeks ago at family reunion, and I didn't have time, and I forgot. Uh, and I let one person down in particular, but there's a Spurgeon quote in today's sermon. It says, The striking likeness of Joseph strongly reminds us of our Master and Lord, the greater Joseph, who is Lord over all the world. Joseph is an imperfect patriarch that made way for a perfect Savior. That is Genesis. And guess what? When we dive into Exodus, as the people wander through the wilderness, it's all towards an eye that one day the wandering will stop. One day the, the lostness will end. One day the despair and the hope and the suffering will come to an end. It did for Joseph. And in verse 22 it says this, Joseph remained in Egypt in his father's house. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. He was sold into slavery when he was 17. 17 years old. He just graduated from high school. He spent his entire life in Egypt. His whole life in a foreign land. And he served it. A lot of times in the church, we expect people just to come to us. Right? What if we, had, what if we invert the paradigm? What if Egypt were to go into Canaan? Would the story have the same impact? I don't think so. What we do, what we must do, and this is the call of Jesus, is we must go into the world. So if all we do is create a bunker of Christians here, we've forgotten the gospel. If Israel, if the 12 tribes of Israel had hunkered down in Canaan, we would have lost 
the line. They would have starved to death. And so we, as the church, must go. Verse 23 says, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's kids. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you. And what does it say here? If you have your Bible, let's read it together. I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It's not Egypt. It's not Egypt. That's not the promised land. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And guess what? He didn't stay there. He's not there today. Egypt's, uh, Joseph's body is not in Egypt. They carried him into the promised land. God keeps his promises. He kept them to Abraham. He kept them to Isaac. He kept them to Jacob. He kept them to Joseph. And he's keeping it to you. And he's keeping it to me. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. There's only one true God. This is the whole point of all of the Bible, certainly of Joseph's story. There's only one true God, and he is sovereign over all. That's it. Gabe had mentioned it last week, just as ways of encouragement that you guys could interact a little bit. That would have been a good one. You missed it. It was a swing and a miss, but it's spring break, so we also sprung forward an hour, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but that's the last time I will do that. Hello. <laughs> okay. I love the text from Jeremiah 29. Do you guys know Jeremiah 29? I'm going to read it to you. It says, it says this, and I'm so reminded of Joseph's story. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness, like completeness, wholeness, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You want me to read it again? I'm going to give you another chance here. This is the, I'm going to do it. Okay, this is where you, you can say, yeah, it doesn't have to be amen. It can be something, anything. You just say, mm, will work. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. That is what we must tell our neighbors. That's right. That will work, too. If you want to do that every now and then, I, I would appreciate that. that. What if you told that to the person in your life who doesn't know who Jesus is? What would it look like to tell your siblings who don't know who Jesus is? This story, a story of lostness and brokenness and redemption and reconciliation, it's not just a story about Joseph. It's our story. One of the most, you guys know this verse. This is Romans 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, what is, how many things? All things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you are a Christian in here today, you have been called you haven't been called to come here on Sunday mornings. You've been called to be sent. And we come here in order to be sent, to be prepared, to understand the biblical text, to be encouraged in whatever you're walking through, to be challenged in areas where you need to be challenged, exhorted in others, but to be sent for sure. 
And so one of the things I will promise you in the days ahead, we will not be a bunker church. Rob says it best. He says, we will never be a lake church. We will always be a river. And sometimes that means we're going to send out our lead pastor, and that's okay. And we should celebrate the mess out of it. And we will. It's coming just a couple weeks away. Make sure you're here that Sunday, two weeks. You can skip the next one. It's my first Sunday. You won't hurt my feelings. But don't skip the last one, March 27th. This is our story, y'all. This is what we've been called to do. And if all we're worried about is building our brand, then this story didn't need to be written. We don't need it. We can do that all on our own. Fancy strategies and tactics, and we can miss the whole thing. I don't want to do that, and I hope you don't either. I think that's why you're here. And so let's be a church sent out into the world. One true God, sovereign over all. Through the sins of wicked men, God works good. Does our world need to hear that? Absolutely it does. Through the sins of wicked men, God works good. As we close our time together this morning, we do this each week, we move into a time of communion. And what we're doing is we're, we're participating in what Jesus has called us to do physically, right? And we're doing it as a remembrance, but I want to read, we usually read from Corinthians. I want to read from Matthew today because the words are important. If we pay attention, and we should, and hopefully we have this morning, not to me, but to the text that was here in Genesis 50. And I'm going to read it again before I read from Matthew. Genesis 50, 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people... Many people should be kept alive as they are today. Listen to Matthew 26 with Genesis 50 in mind. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for who? Poured out for who? Many. For the forgiveness of sins. When you study your Bible, these things start to make a lot more sense and they start to have a lot more impact. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want to leave you with this thought, and this is branch specific. I'm very excited for the days ahead for our church. Not because I'm serving in the capacity that I'm serving. Personally, I'm excited to serve alongside of you, to serve with you, to encourage you and exhort you, and for you to encourage and exhort me. I've been, over the past few weeks, Rob and I specifically, and Greg this past week, have been visiting all of our family groups, which if you're not in a family group, now's the time to get in one. And I don't say that so our family groups get bigger. I say that so you can participate in the life of this church. I've been so encouraged because at every group, every single group, what do you need? Asking me, what do you need? What does your family need? That's a question that the body of Christ asks. What do you need? How can we help you? And I'm going to leave you with this. You can pray for my kids. They're losing friends. Okay? We're losing friends. And that's okay. That's part of the gospel. 
Pray for them, especially, okay? Your encouragement means the world to us, and I thank you for that. And I'm gonna, I'll say it again in a few weeks when all of us are here together. But I want you to hear that from me now. As we move into a time of communion, thank you. And I pray that as you go to the table and as you take the bread and as you dip it in the cup, that you will remember that he is good and he is sovereign over all. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you just for the, the beauty and the unity of your text. That from the beginning to the end, you're telling one story and one story alone. That you save sinners. And I pray that that would just give us a courage and an excitement, a level of freedom maybe that we haven't felt in our lives or we haven't felt in a, in a number of years. Would you give us confidence? I think so many times we interact with our neighbors or people that we work with or go to school with and we get worried that well, what will they think if they find out I'm a Christian or if they know that I'm a Christian, how do I tell them about you? That's that's not for us to worry. You are in control. Would you use us in a way that brings you glory? Would you use us in a way that brings good to our neighbors, to our friends, and to our family, the people that you have placed in our life? God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the beautiful story that you're writing. I thank you for Gabe and Bree, their courage and bravery to move here and to root here for eight years and to serve faithfully. I pray for their kids as they begin to pack up their rooms and say goodbye to friends and, and move. God, I pray for the people here this morning that they would rally like families do as they send one off. And I pray that we would do that so well. And I pray that in all things that Jesus would be proclaimed as Lord, as Savior as the forgiver of sins, the great redeemer, the true and better Joseph, the one who came perfectly to serve and to save. God, I pray now as we enter into a time of remembrance that as we enter and step to your table, we would see you. We would see you break the bread, we pour the cup, we would remember your body and your blood broken and spilled out for us, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. We love you, and as we close in worship, would our hearts just sing joy to you, sing praises. We love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray in his beautiful name. Amen.